Welcome to our recorded broadcast entitled Keeping Our Kids Safe. It's one of our Survive and Thrive Guide series that serves our coronavirus care community of practice. It, it's my pleasure to introduce Jennifer Dingman. Uh, at the beginning of all of our communities of practice webinars, we always have the voice of the patient and families, whether it's the most technical medical program or whether it's for the general public. And Jennifer Dingman is just one of our real national treasures. She's a founder of Persons United Limiting uh, Substandard and Errors in Medicine. She's part of a team that has worked diligently over many years in patient safety and quality. And we would like to have Jennifer, who's now a published author and also has served on a number of agency committees for our federal government uh, in patient safety and quality. Jennifer, would you please uh, help us uh, uh, focus on, uh, on, uh, on our right goals for this webinar? And Jennifer will also be closing our webinar. We always uh, start and close uh, with the voice of the patient. Jennifer? Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Denham. I'm very excited to hear today's webinar. Um, as I've said before, I'm very grateful for Dr. Denham and his team and their instruction for us with this terrible Corona-19 virus that's out there, the COVID-19 virus, coronavirus. And it's very, very important that patients and families and lay people understand and know how to deal with this. I'm, I, very much looking forward to what's happening today. Our goals are to teach the patient and family how to deal with this and learn how to take care of ourselves and our families in our homes and know when to go to a doctor, know when to get a test, know when to go to a hospital. And we have the greatest experts in the country here today. And again, I'm just so thankful. For the audience, please share the recording of this webinar and the past two webinars that we've had on this subject. Invite your friends and your family members for future webinars and please share widely and get the word out to, to, to the people that you love and your colleagues. Thank you and I'll hand it back over to you, Dr. Denham. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jennifer, and thank you for your steadfast support nationally. We really appreciate it. So very briefly, uh, our organization and initiatives are focused on a core purpose, uh, mission, and uh, certain values. Uh, we'll measure our success by how we protect and enrich the lives of families, patients, and caregivers. Our mission is to accelerate performance solutions that save lives, save money, and create value in the communities we serve. And we really take seriously our core values of uh, that spell I care, integrity, compassion, accountability, reliability, and entrepreneurship. And uh, our, pro uh, our program, uh, uh, TMIT Global, has been in existence uh, uh, for more than 35 years and has been uh, using this as the compass. Uh, a, a quick disclosure statement for those of you that are in the medical uh, uh, fields and law enforcement that are with us. Uh, none of our speakers have anything to disclose and no uh, product, service, or technology uh, will be uh, covered here and no funding from the medical industry, device, pharma, or service industry has been uh, generated. So just a quick, uh, for those of you that have not been on one of our webinars, quick bio, TMIT Global uh, and our research testbed is comprised of more than 3,100 hospitals and 3,000 communities, and we have a 500-member uh, subject matter expert pool. You're hearing some of the experts today, and we've had the uh, opportunity of uh, working in the area of patient safety and quality for more than 35 years, and we've been running these webinar series for more than 11 years focused on pay for performance, uh, patient safety, and safety to caregivers. 
the coronavirus crisis has really caused us to expand uh, to the general public, and I'll cover that just briefly, but it's important to recognize that uh, these uh, 16 industry sectors you see on this slide are called the essential critical infrastructure workers. When the coronavirus crisis hit, we realized there was not train enough training for them, and especially their families, which is probably the weakest link in the chain to keep them safe. And just recently, uh, the Homeland Security and the Trump administration announced that teachers are now uh, in this group of the essential critical workforce uh, workers. And it now, uh, now there are many guidelines that apply to them. It's in a state of flux right now, but our teachers are now part of this, uh, this arena. And we're so uh, blessed to have educators as part of our team today. When the coronavirus crisis hit, we assembled more than 50 subject matter experts from the areas of law, medicine, uh, infection prevention, uh, board governance, and even as young as seven or eight years of age, as you can see there, uh, former presidents of the American Nursing Association, educators, uh, former astronauts, uh, and a number of uh, our medical subject matter experts. On the second slide here, slide 13, we also have been using video from our prior uh, Discovery Channel films, Chasing Zero and Surfing the Healthcare Tsunami, uh, with a, a number of uh, business leaders. And so we're really at the intersection in this, this terrible dilemma of the coronavirus crisis, of the intersection of business, medicine, public health, but most importantly, families. And so we're really blessed to have a great group. So you're, you're now joining what's called a community of practice, and we've been building these for many years. We built them for Google and Siemens and GE, and we built them in patient safety and quality where we convene a group, we connect the group, we celebrate the gifts they bring to the party, we create and co-create best practices that might change the world locally uh, or uh, even more broadly, we work very closely with the World Health Organization, and this is a learning community. So by no means do we have all the answers today. Maybe we're going to tee up some questions that you think are important. Our discovery over the last four months is that our medical leaders that are in clinical medicine, nurses, doctors, pharmacists, and, and as well as administrators of our major medical centers and our top medical centers wish to be trained and wish their families to be trained. The other discovery was that the general public wants to be trained with them. And so please forgive us because we're gonna apply some real technical things and some engineering principles that appeal to our tactical medical people. But this gives you, if you're a part of the general public and you're a care mom out there or a care dad or taking care of your family, you'll get to see um, how we think about systems engineering. I'm uh, not only a doctor, radiation oncologist, retired, but a, a biomedical engineer, and I was on faculty at Mayo uh, in systems engineering and healthcare. So uh, this website that you may go back to any time will have continuously updated videos, short videos, four minutes to 10 minutes, longer videos like this that'll be 90 minutes, and then at the bottom of the page uh, will be a, a curated repository of all the articles that you see us address. Our last webinar, we addressed the survive and thrive guide of bringing the virus home. Let's not bring the virus home. We're not gonna cover that today, but please go back to our last webinar, as Jenny had mentioned, where we, the hot zone is where we work, the warm zone is where we disinfect, 
the safe zone is where our families are. But today, we're going to talk about how to keep our kids safe. How, do we, how can we be uh, focusing on keeping our kids safe in this uh, environment? A number of questions we hope to answer or at least tee up some questions and some things that you can follow through. What's the science behind it? What's the breakdown between those under 10 teens and youth? What about college students? What about the CDC guidelines? And, uh, and you can just see in the local news, even this morning in national news, what's going on in colleges. What are our highest risk environments? Why are indoors risk more risky than outdoors? And why uh, are there best practices for play dates, sports, getting back to the beach and the pool? And then how can we engage teens, those in their 20s and 30s, to take the lead to help protect our families? So, you know, humor is the best medicine. And, I, and one of the reasons that I was excited about where I went for my training was I, I read about doctors that were innovators in uh, the Reader's Digest. And the humor uh, as the best medicine is definitely uh, uh, was something that I would read in Reader's Digest as a kid. And this graphic that you see is really kind of a tongue-in-cheek graphic about COVID risk and non-COVID risk. And we'll kind of come back to it. But we have to kind of think about this. And some of the really funny things that are on here are, well, clearly the safest thing is just stay home all the time. And if you look at the bottom right quadrant, you see uh, that the highest risk might be winning a test tube eating contest at a COVID lab or opening a kissing booth at a COVID testing site. So we, we really need a bit of a dose of humor here. But the message of this graphic is really we need to stratify our risk between what is the safest and what is uh, the least safe and based on some good scientific principles. So the idea of stratifying our risk is important and there is no perfect answer. As I said, we discovered that family training really works. It saves companies money and liability. Most importantly, the family unit and the chains of transmission that can occur are where we need to focus, not on the individuals. We're really blessed to have MD Anderson, Mayo Clinic, UCSF, UCI, and we can't mention some of the uh, some of the federal agencies, but a number are working with us in the research of what can we do for families to help protect them and, per, and help protect our infrastructure workforce. Um, here's an art, so we're not gonna tell you should your kids go to school or not. We can't because we don't know your community, but this is an excellent article that came out a couple of days ago. 10 epidemiologists and infectious disease experts gave you their rationale for whether they sent their kids back to school live or whether they were doing it by Zoom, uh, or what, uh, or how they were uh, how they were dealing with this question. Read it. Great article. It's on the website, our website. You can download it. But just to let you know, the single most important factor they brought up in this article is the background community positivity rate. What? How? How positive? How? What is the rate of positivity of everybody that gets tested in the community? The higher the rate in the community, the greater the risk that are the outside risks to your, to, to your family. They also mentioned sustained community transmission. These are important factors, and these are the experts deciding whether they're sending their kids at school. They also recognize the negative aspects of not sending the children to school. We have a wonderful pediatrician, uh, Dr. Owens, who's going to speak today, uh, and, and I, I bet she'll tell you that it is important uh, that there are some factors. The pediatricians we talk to say that depression and a number of things are, are striking the balance, and nutrition is important, a number of things, but the importance of physical distancing, enforcing mask wearing, Outdoor education and ventilation and a number of those factors at schools are going to be critically important for you to make your decision as to what your kids do. 
son, Dr. Sanjay Gupta, there, I know him personally, a great person. Uh, I watch him on CNN. I watch all the news feeds. Uh, and I can tell you, Dr. Gupta, Dr. Fauci, Dr. Francis Collins, the head of the NIH, I, I'm old enough to have the blessing of knowing them all personally. Dr. Gupta has been right down the, right down the, the line on the science. And he cited in an article that he wrote, which you may download, that why he's not sending his kids to school at that time, which was the 12th of August. Maybe he will today, but the factors that were important was the largest pediatric study out of China, 90% of children developed mild or moderate symptoms, 6% were severely ill. We've had over 90 kids die uh, by the first week in August. A South Korean spread study is probably the largest one we have. Kids under 10 are less likely to get the disease, but they're, but they're more likely to have more virus in their nasopharynx. Kids between 10 and 19 spread the disease as rapidly as adults do. And so that's really important to know. Younger kids, uh, 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 the younger kids, uh, although they may not get infected, really can infect us, and we know that about the flu. Uh, the other things are that our teachers, 25%, are at serious risk or at risk for serious disease because of underlying conditions or age. And it's critical to look at the background infection rate in your community to decide whether you send your kids back to school. And then I think the worst thing is the MISC, the multi-system inflammatory syndrome, although not very common, we've got almost 600 kids, 570 and probably more uh, that have this very serious condition. And we're seeing a number of long haulers or those that get this disease and have long-term impact on their organs. And the main thing is this is a novel virus. We just don't know that much about it. So it's important to know it. So where are we today? Uh, you know, we're over 180,000 deaths. Uh, one in 55 Americans have been infected as of September 1st. Over 60% of the new infections are under 50. Uh, you've got panelists today that are in their teens, in their 20s, uh, as well as uh, uh, those that are in middle age. And I'm on the, on the longer end of that it's at the age of 65. But it's important to realize that one in three adults and children, so one in three children, who are hospitalized are admitted to the ICU and the fastest growing group of those getting infected are children. And the other thing is, is that we're not a very healthy society. So you can't tease out and say, oh, well, if somebody got sick because they had an underlying illness, obesity is one of those underlying illnesses and 40% of our population are obese. So it's a lot more common to the people that you might know. Okay, so let's talk about a little bit of science and then we're gonna, then we're gonna go to our medical panel. How do we keep our kids safe? The only, only possible way of doing it is by looking at your family as a family unit. If you look at your child individually or you look at any individual, what we call patients in medicine, you're, you're, you're dropping the ball, you're missing it because the, you, we have to break the family transmission chains. And why we focused on essential workers was the doctors, nurses, pharmacists, those in the hospitals and running our hospitals and, and, and uh, EMS and fire departments and police departments. We have a great EMT in, uh, in Palpatia on that will speak a little bit later today. Those people were very exposed to the virus. But if we don't protect their family and try to break down, try to, to uh, break the transmission chains of the families or who they live with, they're still going to get infected. They can take care of them eight hours at work, but if the other 16 hours of the day they are exposed to family members from the community, we can lose our critical essential workers. So one of the things people have to understand is you can't rely on public health. The public health guidelines are high level and for populations. 
They have to make trade-offs for the population. You're going to pay more. You're going to act more. You're going to do more if you know what to do for your family, and you're going to do a lot more work for your family than your local public health leaders. So you have to take charge now, and our message is focus on the family unit and take charge and lead. Now, as a systems engineer, we always love to have a reconciling framework. So those of you in the public, forgive us for getting kind of into a little bit of math here and a little bit of the, the structure, but I want you to understand how, how you need to make good informed decisions. Threats, what are threats? Threats are likely to cause harm. What is vulnerability? A vulnerability or vulnerabilities are the weaknesses that can be exploited by those threats. If you increase your vulnerability, you're more likely to have higher risk. What is risk? Probability of harm and probability of harm by the threat expo exploiting a vulnerability. So if you step back and you say, wait a minute, what do I do about getting my kids in school or allowing them to have play dates? You need to identify what are the threats to your kids. Inside threats are those intrinsic to those children that might have a higher risk. And what are the outside threats? What's the background infection rate and the activity that they're going to participate, whether it's scouts or school or swimming or pools? What, what's the threat profile of the community? And only by reducing your vulnerability can you re reduce the risk of harm. And you can't trust your public health department guidelines. They're, they're for the whole population. They're not for Chuck Denham's family. They're not for my family. They're not for Dr. Boats's family. They're for everybody in the community as a population. So what's our goal? If you want to protect your kids, you want to keep your kids safe, you've got to focus on your family unit, you've got to reduce the family harm by reducing your vulnerability to the threats you know about. Let me unwrap that. You better know about the threats in your community. Dr. Gupta's not sending his girls back to school, but, kids, but, but parents in New York City where the transmission rate is very low and the background infection rate is only 1%, and let's say it's 22% in, in Georgia, those are two different decisions, and you, there's no one, one answer. So let's give you a step-by-step -step approach. And again, those of you in the public, forgive us for getting down into the detail, but our caregivers have to teach this as well. So how do we keep our kids safe? We focus on the family. Step one, identify each family member's threat profile. Look at them individually. What are the, what are the internal threats due to their own conditions of age, underlying conditions, et cetera, and your family living conditions? Step two, identify and follow the local coronavirus threats. I'm in Orange County, California. I looked them up. They're in my slide deck today. They're going to be different next week, so maybe they'll be going down. You need to keep track of what is the threat profile of your community and understand how that might apply to your kids, your family, your social events this weekend. We're going to have some social events at my home on the beach here next, this, this weekend, but we're going to maintain certain social distance, masks, et cetera, as appropriate in an outdoor environment and keep our distance, thereby reducing our risk to the vulnerability, even though we're at a 5% background infection rate. Step three, develop a family safety plan. Doctor, uh, uh, I call him Dr. Beshk, but uh, uh, David Beshk is just a world-class educator and teacher, uh, fifth-grade science teacher, but one of the best teachers I've ever uh, been with, is going to address a few minute, in a few minutes what it is to be the CFO, the chief family officer of your family. And then plan the flight and fly the plan, meaning that you need to get that, uh, put that, that together. Now, I'm going to move quickly through the slides to get to our panels, Go back and look at the slides, but we're basically saying, look at the outside threats in your community and the inside threats of your living conditions. This slide kind of stratifies them. Pregnant moms have certain risks. Kids under two have risk. Two to 10 are super spreaders, but they don't, they're not likely to get it unless they get something serious. 
10 to 30 are the real super spreaders in our community right now. And, and those that are over 65 and at older ages have vulnerability. You need to know about them so you can take a look at your family. So you look at the outside threats, what's the background, um, the background infection rate, are people using masks? Do the schools have a, have a test, trace, treat, isolate, quarantine program that's really robust so that if a kid gets positive that they're jumping on it right away and they can keep the rest of the kids safe or not? Do you have that in the community? The inside threats are, and I'm not gonna read the list here because I wanna get to our panel, but go back and look at it and you can look at the inside threats that are intrinsic to your family as your family is made up. Now, this is a family, real family, here in Orange County, close to me. I looked up this morning, the testing positivity percent you see in the upper left quadrant is 5%. Boy, we'd sure like to have that down at one so that we could be at a new normal. We have a male over 65 years of age, risk for age. We have a female with a history of pulmonary infections, uh, increased risk there. We have a mid-team with recent cardiac surgery and hospitalizations for hyperimmune reactions. And we have a grandmother at a separate facility who's 99 years of age. Our behaviors and what we do with our family plan are directly related to these individual inside threats and on the left, the outside threats. So what do we do? We need to reduce our vulnerability. So if you wanna reduce your threat, the, the risk, you reduce the, the exposure to the outside threats, that's carpooling with kids in, in a car, with people that you don't know. You're not, you shouldn't do that. Uh, other things with the background, if the background infection rate is high. So uh, there are a number of bullets on this page. We'll come back to it if we have a moment. But step three is develop a, a family safety plan. Next webinar on October 1st, we're going to go step by step by step through how to be ready, how to respond, how to rescue somebody who's really sick, how to go through recovery and resilience. And then step four is you plan the flight, what you're going to do, and fly the plan. As a pilot, that's the way that we look at it. So what I'd like to do now, Dr. Gregory Boats is one of our just world-class doctors, a critical care doctor. Uh, he's a professor uh, at uh, the University of Texas in critical care and anesthesia and a professor at Stanford uh, Medical College. Dr. Boats, thank you for being with us today, and we appreciate the fact that you're covering the ICU. What's your message to families regarding keeping their kids safe right up to, into the range of the young adults? Well, it's certainly a pleasure to join this webinar again, talking about such an important topic as you know, the, the care and concern for our families during this pandemic. And I think the message I wanna give everybody is that uh, there's a lot of fear about the coronavirus and the potential effects on our families. And it's important to know that we have tools, public health tools and, and clinical tools that we use to understand what's going on in the community, what's going on with infections, what's going on as far as risks to our families. Uh, it's important to know that this coronavirus is novel. We've never seen it before. And so we're having to use tried and true public health strategies to mitigate a pandemic, but realize that we're learning as we go, things are changing. In fact, many of the numbers vacillate over the number of days and that can be very fearful to people but the more important thing is to have a plan for your family based on your own risk profile in the context of your community and the threats and risks that are there to make the best plan to keep you and your family safe during this pandemic. I have a story to share that gives uh, 
an idea of the fear that people have about the coronavirus in their family units. One of my colleagues who practices medicine uh, has a, a coworker in his office who died from the coronavirus because the live-in son in his 20s decided to go out and play pool with his friends and brought the coronavirus home to the family. Many of them were sick. Many of them were at risk with, with medical vulnerabilities. And the mother caught it and became sick, then hospitalized, then in the ICU and eventually died from coronavirus complications. Uh, we have to be serious about using the strategies of social distancing, masks, hand hygiene and contact surface cleaning in order to really reduce the risk of, of this, this coronavirus causing harm to our families. Thank you very much, Dr. Boats, and thank you for the encouragement to combat the fear that many people feel. We really appreciate your attention to the detail and, and this vulnerability issue. I think it's important, Dr. Denham, to know that we are doing the best we can with tried and true public health measures. They are working. Uh, it's going to take some time, but we are going to get through this. We're going to have a vaccine soon. We're going to uh, use strategies that are protecting our families, and we're going to see this in our rearview mirror uh, in the not too distant future. Thank you, Dr. Boats. So, uh, uh, Dr. Boats uh, is uh, is on ICU call and wasn't able to join us. Maybe able to join us a little later. It's now my great pleasure to introduce uh, Dr. Brittany Owens. Uh, I've known uh, Brittany since she was a little girl. She is a terrific community uh, physician. Has some great insights for those of us that are worried and thinking about. Uh, uh, bringing our kids in now during this coronavirus crisis, and she'll give us some great insights. Uh, 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 Brittany, would you go ahead and, uh, and, and give us the picture of what it's like to go to a pediatrician today and what message you have for our audience? Sure. So we're taking a lot of extra precautions to make sure the kids can come into the office these days. Um, all of our employees, front desk staff, uh, medical assistants, nurses, and doctors are wearing masks. We're requiring masks for every person coming in, um, including kids over the age of two. For our well visits, we are we don't even have a waiting room, so we're having the patients wait in the car, calling them, walking them straight through and back to their room to try to reduce any possible transmission between families and the waiting room. Um, in addition, for the sick visits, we're doing a completely separate entrance, a separate doctor. We're trying to make sure that we're really you know, making it as safe as possible for people are coming in. And the reason we're doing this is because it is still really, really important to come in for all of these well visits and sick visits. So we want to make sure that kids are growing appropriately, that they're developing appropriately, getting all of their vaccines. You know, we've got a new virus um, on the scene now. So it's really, really important that kids are being vaccinated against things that we can protect them from, including the flu vaccine, which in our area is actually coming out within this week. So we're encouraging everyone to come in for their flu shots as well. Um, and, you know, another reason we're taking all these extra precautions to make sure those kids who are sick are able to still come in for their sick visits. Kids are still getting asthma exacerbations, still, still getting Lyme disease, um, more in an endemic area, probably not as, as common for you guys out there. Um, kids are still getting more serious conditions like getting diagnoses of cancer. So. If parents are concerned about their kids being sick, the pediatric office is a safe place for them to be. We still want to make sure that we're an important part of the community and helping them. Um, you know, 
the, I think parents get overwhelmed about this new virus, um, and it's, it's our role, I think, as a pediatric office to make sure that they can get all the up-to-date information. Like the other doctor had said, this is a novel coronavirus. We're getting more data every day, and based on that data, are updating our recommendations. So it's really important for parents to kind of, you know, touch base with the pediatric office, go on the CDC website, make sure that they're getting the, the latest updates because what we recommend today may be different than what we recommend tomorrow. So we really want to be that medical home to make sure that everyone's up-to-date on the information and being well taken care of when they're sick. Many thanks, many thanks. And so it's so critical that, uh, that if a child were to develop symptoms of like an appendicitis that they get in and not worry about getting the coronavirus and make sure to get the vaccines and, and the rest. So Brittany, we may come back to you if we have time a little bit later, but thank you so much. And thank you for being such a, a voice of common sense to us about the kids and, and about the decision-making is really, it's a novel virus and there are local conditions that are critical. Well, I'm gonna move on now to uh, one of our real stars of uh, our national program is Heather Foster. Heather Foster is a practicing nurse that serves uh, both, both as an ICU nurse and has served as an infection preventionist. Uh, she has had an enormous uh, impact on our certification courses for, for families that want to learn how to care for someone at home and create an isolation room. She's also uh, uh, a 2018 winner of the Pete Conrad Global Patient Safety Award in honor of the astronaut Pete uh, Conrad, uh, third man to walk on the moon. Uh, Heather, as a nurse preventionist, uh, a couple of comments. I, I really appreciate being here today, Chuck, and, and value everything that Dr. Boats and Dr. Owens has um, has said. And and if I think back to the very beginnings of this pandemic, um, uh, there was a part of me, um, albeit I'd had very little experience in, uh, uh, like most of us, in dealing with the pandemic. I, I did feel that we were putting the cart before the horse in in many aspects of our care, and and. As, as we, uh, where we are now, I think seeing hospitals opening up, clinics opening up, and kind of resembling some type of normalcy, I think it's important to know that we can still function within these parameters that we have and, and, um, and, and take care of patients. Well, great, Heather. Thank you so much. And again, we'll loop back to you. Thank you for your wonderful contribution to this uh, this area. It's uh, it, it's so critical, and it it is changing every single day. I reflect so fondly on listening to you manage families over the phone when we were working together on uh, this program, and you would have to take a call, and I would overhear the kindness that you and and how you would diffuse the fear. So thank you so much. Um, we're going to move now to uh, Christopher Peabody. Uh, I've been uh, we. We have worked together since he was a third-year medical student. We were both at Harvard together. I was a, uh, an advanced leadership fellow and on faculty at the School of Public Health and the medical school. Dr. Peabody was uh, won a, a Zuckerman scholarship and was there earning a, a, a master's in public health. He's now an emergency medicine associate professor at the University of California uh, in San Francisco. And he, uh, I put together a framework called the five rights of emergency care, the five rights of pain management, a way to have another reconciling framework. And he's been a terrific contributor uh, to helping us really flesh out what are the right behaviors that we can have as patients and families to reduce risk? And I recommend that you go to this video on our website where he goes in detail on the five rights of, um, of uh, uh, emergency care. I asked Toff, he goes by Toff, I asked Toff to give us the perspective of the five rights of emergency care as they apply to pediatrics. Uh, 
would you please roll the tape? Dr. Peabody, you've done a fabulous job helping me articulate the five rights of emergency care. Can you apply the five rights as they pertain to children and teens? Absolutely. So I think in with the COVID-19, um, knowing the five rights when you want to come to the emergency department is as important as it was beforehand. Um, there are a few things that you should know about coming to the emergency department uh, that is different in the COVID era. Uh, the first one is, is to know that if you need to come to the emergency department, please do. Uh, we want to see you and your loved one uh, in the emergency department should they have a, a needed emergency. So what about the right provider? Chuck, the right provider for emergency care is, is crucial. Uh, you want to go to a place that has your records, uh, knows your general history, or has contact with your primary care system. Uh, that was true before the pandemic and is true right now um, during COVID-19. Uh, you want to go to the emergency department that knows you. Um, if that's not possible, go to the closest place that uh, you can um, if it's a true emergency. And if it's an emergency where you have to call an ambulance, be aware that the ambulance will make those decisions for you and usually chooses the exact right place for the critical moment that you're facing. So what about the right diagnosis as it applies to children and teens? I think especially when it comes to, to teens and young adults, Chuck, is that they may have never been to the emergency department by themselves. And during COVID-19, it may be the first time that they go to the emergency department. And so just knowing that you should have your medical information, the medications that you're taking, any workup or lab results that are recent, any imaging that, may, uh, that, the, that you and your family may have is gonna be really important to have on hand for that physician and care team to see you that one point in time in the emergency department. So I think this uh, really pertains to, to teens that are just kind of learning uh, what the, an emergency visit is like. So as we talk about uh, the right diagnosis and we think about uh, children and teens and maybe only one parent there, communication is gonna be pretty vital, isn't it? Uh, as you think about uh, uh, the, the right treatment. Absolutely. So communication is always key in, in, um, in closing the loop uh, is with your care team, knowing exactly what's going on. What I've found with COVID-19 and especially with, uh, you know, parents that may not be able to be with their loved one, whether it be a teen that's coming alone or if um, most places are only allowing one parent to come with their child, so um, we're using whatever means possible it is to close the loop with parents. And if that includes um, electronic media like uh, FaceTime or text messaging, we'll do that. So you've made a great point in the five rights about the right discharge and return precautions. What's important as we think about these younger kids and young adults and teens? Emergency physicians and their care teams only see you at one point of time. And sometimes and during that point of time, the right diagnosis may not have been come to. So you really want to know when to come back to the emergency department if things change. And so getting the right discharge instructions, closing that loop with your care team, going out and going home, um, it's actually one of the most crucial points of, of knowing what, what's going on in the emergency department. So. Uh, the right discharge um, is probably the 
Out of the five rights, Chuck, I think that's the one where I would focus the majority of my time. And then finally, the right follow-up, that continuity of care back with the pediatrician and making sure that the flow of information uh, can occur. And, and I, I would expect in COVID, that's even more challenging. Absolutely. As uh, primary care visits have gone almost completely online, um, you want to be able to have your primary care access the information that uh, was gained during that emergency department visit. And so knowing what that right uh, follow-up is, asking the emergency uh, physician and the emergency physician care or the emergency department care team um, while you're being discharged, hey, what should be my follow-up plan? And is there any information that's not going to be translated directly to my uh, primary care team? Um, and if there isn't, then come up with a plan on how to get that information back to your primary care group. Fantastic, Toph. Uh, you're always so helpful as we talk about emergency medicine and patient safety. This has been really helpful. Thank you, Chuck. And uh, you know, if there's ever any other questions, I'm always happy to come back on. Thank you. So uh, Dr. Peabody, again, is on duty uh, in the emergency department. We're really grateful for his, uh, uh, his contribution. Our, our next speaker is, is uh, Mr. David Bashkoff, and call him Dr. Bash because he is so knowledgeable uh, about these topics. And uh, he and my son, Charlie, uh, have worked very, very closely for the last five years, starting with a scout group at, uh, the, at the school where my son uh, attends. Uh, David Bashk is an award-winning educator. I think one of the best teachers I've ever worked with. He is our MedTech school program leader. He is a uh, Eagle Scout. He's a scout program mentor and uh, has really helped us shape uh, what we are doing with uh, families and what we're doing uh, with um, uh, our, what we call the CFO, the family, chief family officer. Uh, David, take it away and we thank you so much. We know you're, you're grabbing a quick window between classes of teaching uh, our, our school, our, our children here in Orange County. Thank you, Dr. Denham. What a pleasure to be here again. Um, and so, you know, as an educator, um, it's not only my job to uh, teach students, but oftentimes it's my job to teach the, the CFOs, the chief family officers of the family. Um, a lot of time is spent interacting with adults and, you know, easing minds and giving activities and giving, um, giving strategies that people can use at home to support not only their children, but their, their whole family. I like to call it your team at home. That's what my wife and I call ours is our team. Um, and so now with the craziness of, of life going around with, with, with the corona and with the CFO always having to try to balance and, and manage and navigate activities and birthdays and now school opening and family responsibilities, we now are, are being called on to wear a different hat. And now we're, we're, we're really being asked to be the, the, the chief infection risk officers for our team. And like we've heard um, many people say, and Dr. Denham opened up with the, uh, the webinar talking about, it's important that we know that every family's situation is unique, not just families in different states or different regions. These are families within different neighborhoods or, you know, families within schools. Everybody's, um, everybody's risks are different. And as the CFO, that, that can be challenging and it can be, it can be scary and it can be confusing. And I know that it seems like every other day, every 15 minutes, we're hearing different things come out from the, uh, the CDC or doctors and whether you're inside with an activity or you're outside with an activity or, you know, friends and families. And I know that for me, 
in my team, it's, it's, it's been a challenge to try to navigate that, you know, who do we get to have play dates with? Who, who do we feel comfortable with meeting at the beach and, and, and socially distant activities? Um, masks, what kind of masks? Where do we wear masks? How often do we wear masks? Sanitizers, um, and now the opening of school. Um, it, can, it can be a lot. And I think uh, one of the messages that I want to spread today is that give yourself some grace. It's, there's a lot that's going on. As a CFO, we are all managing, and now the chief infection risk officers, we're managing a lot. And it is okay to feel that overwhelmed feeling. It is okay to have that, that kind of that, that, that inkling inside that you might not fully understand and grasp everything that's going on, or it feels like you're kind of in a whirlwind. That is okay. We just continue to put one foot in front of us. We do the best that we can to manage the risk for our individual team. We do our best to stay up to date with the best information possible, and this webinar is a great way. And next month in the webinar, when we talk about actually making a plan and executing that plan, it's going to be very important for us to have that information, to feel confident with that information. And uh, the slides you see here as the CFO, really the head, what you want to do is you want to do your best to just keep up with the specifics and the details of the day and know what you can do. Keep notes. I have a very detailed um, a file that I keep on my computer with now the changing, the changing guidelines and what's going to work best for my family. Your heart, you want to feel good about what you're doing for your family. And again, that goes back to giving yourself a little bit of grace. No one's perfect. We're not all medical doctors. I know that. And even as medical doctors, there's a lot to keep track of. Trust yourself. Feel good about what you're doing for your family. Continue moving forward. Hands. That's about putting the plan into practice. And again, next month's webinar is going to help us with that. But make sure whatever you put into practice, you work it, you do it. And don't be afraid to innovate. No plan is perfect from the bat, but you have to have a plan. You got to get to doing something. Doing something is always better than doing nothing. Reflect on the plan, innovate, make it better, make it work for you and your family. Your plan is going to be very different from anybody else's, and that's okay. That is appropriate voice, articulate. You want to be able to share what you're doing with your team. As the CFO and the chief infection risk officer, you have to be the chief communicator. And it's important for you to be able to communicate the plan to everyone. Don't hide details. Explain why you're doing what you're doing. Make sure everybody else understands it and that they can explain it to each other. It's an all-teach, all-learn model here with MedTech and MedTech Global. And it's important as the CFO that you are the one that is teaching and making sure that everybody on your team is on the same page. As chief uh, infection risk officers, continue doing what you're doing. Continue to love your family. Keep up with what's going on. Give yourself some grace and fight the good fight. Thank you, Dr. Denno. I need to uh, sign off and head to the next class now. Uh, David, thank you so much. Uh, and thank you for all your support of uh, our students, our, our scouts, and our community. Uh, so a couple of uh, quick highlights as we roll now into uh, the young, our younger age group and our, and our panel of young adults. Uh, on, our, on our website are short videos. You can watch on your phone, four minutes to 10 minutes to 15 minutes. One is a little longer on masks, but uh, why social distance works. It's important to know that six feet's a minimum. Actually, we now know from a number of studies that the droplets that spread and aerosols can go a greater distance why masks are so critical and important and they're no replacement 
uh, for the physical distance and how to pick the masks and how to know why they're, uh, why they're critically important. We put together a longer video that's about 25 to 27 minutes with all the latest science. And those of you that are in pre-med, medical school, nurses, but those that are really in families that want to know the science of how to stop the aerosol, the droplets, and, and really the technology behind masks are very, very interesting. And you can watch this longer video. And then hand washing and helping our kids understand how hand washing works. Why is it 20 seconds? Why is, it, why is soap and water the best? Um, uh, and, and what's really critically important about the virus itself, it is vulnerable. It's vulnerable to soap and water. And then uh, the contact surfaces, there's been a lot of misinformation that says, oh, you don't have to worry about that anymore. That was a complete mis, what I call a MIG, uh, a misinformation generated narrative. Uh, it, it's still a risk. And so uh, touching our faces and touching our nose and touching our mouth after we've touched a surface that has the virus on it is the way we, we've always caught the flu that way. We've always caught a number of diseases that way. So important to do that. And then God forbid that you have a family member that has to go into ICU, but we also have short videos on about ICU care. What's a respirator and what is ECMO, which is the artificial lung that family members may have to go to. Um, now, we, now, when we start, now we're going to talk uh, to our, our, our younger panel, and we're really excited uh, about the, the, our speakers today. Um, you know what? There was a lot of learning that went on in schools in the 1918 pa uh, pandemic, and if you study history, you'll see it. Uh, we're seeing the, the most rapid and high spread uh, activity is actually happening in our young adults, those from 10 to 25, those from 18 to 25. Uh, and we're also seeing an enormous number of those that become long haulers with uh, organ uh, damage uh, and, and long-term symptoms, but we're also seeing death. And we're seeing it in not only those that have underlying conditions, but those that are perfectly healthy. Um, just in the news today, this morning, uh, a number of our colleges have had to roll back uh, their decisions regarding uh, in-person in, in classes. And a lot of uh, our college students are going, well, I'm going to go back home. And Dr. Fauci was on the news this morning, who's, who's a national treasure. You can set your watch by his honesty and the truth that he brings to us. Uh, and he said, don't do it. Uh, sequester yourself where you are, because one of the biggest factors in the spread in the southeast that we've experienced in this enormous number of deaths in the last six weeks actually came from our college students and our young adults bringing it home. Uh, we are generating survive and thrive guides. This one will be out on Monday on masks, and there will be one for every one of our webinars. So there will be one on keeping your kids safe. This is the one regarding masks. And the reason that I bring it up is to remember that aerosols and droplets, uh, uh, that, 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 that this is a respiratory virus. There are large droplets over five microns, small droplets under five microns, and really it's the competition between gravity and evaporation that determines where the little, the little viruses go. So aerosols float in the air, and we're increasingly seeing a potential risk of aerosols that hang in the air much longer. This, uh, this uh, slide number 59 actually addresses uh, how to dramatically reduce, again, if you want to reduce your vulnerability, the, the takeaway message is a, a well-made uh, surgical mask, hopefully made or, or distributed here in the United States by a trusted vendor, is probably the best choice over a cloth mask. And the N95 masks, not only should they be kept for our uh, care providers, but if you don't have a good fit of an N95 mask, it's not as effective as just a well-fitting surgical mask that blocks exhale droplets by 99% 
and inhaled droplets by 75%. So watch our videos regarding how to uh, build their, their, uh, your, your strategy regarding masks. So it's my pleasure now to introduce our youth and young adult panel. Uh, Perry Bechtel III is, uh, is a phenomenal young man. He's a pre-med student at the University of uh, Florida. He's been, he was our first master med tech instructor, been with us for years. He's also an Eagle Scout. He's an advisor to our Eagle Squadron of Scouts that are putting rescue stations along the coastline here in uh, Southern California and our uh, Eagle programs. And he will be uh, interviewing uh, our, uh, our um, uh, young adults and uh, we had to record some that we have classes today. So uh, uh, Perry Bechtel, uh, we'll uh, go ahead and have you um, uh, address uh, uh, the, uh, the issues of the four A's, awareness, accountability, ability, and action. These are the four A's of innovation we've used in our innovation work. Awareness is being aware of you being part of the problem as super spreaders. Uh, accountability for that and maybe becoming part of the solution ability and we've got some film students and theatrical students that can give us a little bit of advice on how we can reach these young adults and then action what are the line of sight uh, actions that can uh, be addressed so Perry I'm going to turn it over to you however we know that Claire Peck is our first uh, respondent so I'll just cover his bio quickly Claire Peck is a uh, NYU uh, student uh, a film student at and, and uh, MedTech production team member and uh, go ahead and roll the tape uh, Kyle and then we'll have uh, Perry kind of take it away after we've played the second tape so Claire, you're a junior at NYU. Um, how aware are the people around you that they could be part of the problem and also they could help with the solution? Well, young college students, I do believe, are very aware. Uh, it's hard to believe they couldn't be with everything, you know, going on the sheer amount of information we have at our fingertips. Um, but I do think it's hard coming from, you know, wherever you stayed in quarantine, um, you know, with your family, things were slightly easier. Now being sent off to college, especially younger classmen to expect their first their first uh, party. Uh, that's just not a possibility in today's situation. Um, so I just, uh, I, I, I think that young people are aware and they just need the stamina to prolong and keep going through quarantine and not just give up because it's easy or they don't have their parents looking out for that. So Claire, what about accountability? Um, I do think young people should take accountability for, you know, statistically being the super spreaders in this pandemic. Um, personally, coming from a place where I didn't have, sorry about the sound, um, I can restart. Um, and also- Perry, yeah, yeah, Perry, just start off again. You did a great Perry, uh, nice head movement, nice, uh, nice, uh, nice uh, audio, just go. Uh, what about accountability? Ready, action. What about accountability? Um, I do think young people should take accountability just with the fact being that they are the super spreaders in this pandemic, but that's not always the case. I think um, when you have personal connections, like coming from a place where I didn't know anyone who had COVID because it was pretty well contained at the time while I was there, um, to a place where I have uh, commuter students I'm friends with who have families that, uh, family members they've lost, uh, it just, you know, puts it in perspective and this isn't, you know, going to school with a cold. It's, you're, we're living in a pandemic where you, there's one answer, it's you have to take responsibility. Ability. So Claire, do you feel there's a place for storytelling and film in the solution? For sure, definitely. I think um, representation is really key, either on a smaller scale, like, you know, social media platforms. Uh, I think 
staying connected and just seeing that you're not alone is super helpful. But also like on bigger, bigger screens, not movie screens, obviously, but um, you know, in the living room, uh, a great show on Hulu, it's Love in the Time of Corona. Um, it, you know, it just, it makes you realize that you can, you know, go on with your daily life in a pandemic. There is a new normal, but seeing people on screen going through it with you, um, you know, I think that's a big tool and uh, super helpful in a time like this. So our next, uh, our next respondent also had classes today, Jacqueline Boats. Uh, she is a sophomore uh, at Chapman University, an opera singer, a theatrical arts student, and uh, we uh, had her uh, speak to you uh, by Zoom as well, which is recorded. So, Jacqueline, talking about awareness, how aware are those around you? A lot of my friends are aware that we are super spreaders, but I have seen some cases where there are some reckless people, you know, partying and things like that. But um, we're still learning on how to be safe and what makes us feel safe um, during this pandemic. Accountability. Do those around you feel accountable? I think that college students in general are taking accountability knowing that they are the super spreaders. And it is a little bit too soon to see what my peers are doing in terms of leadership to you know, help spread awareness of this virus and what we could be doing to prevent um, getting others sick. So Jacqueline, you're a theatrical major. Do you feel there's a place for storytelling and spreading the message? I feel like the performing arts holds a special place for storytelling. And I know most of my peers are working to spread awareness through social media right now. And now that school's back in, we might be able to work with our professors and our peers on how to work with our art forms eventually. What about action? At the very least, I think our age group can be careful bringing home the virus to our families from college. So uh, uh, our, next, uh, our next speaker is uh, Jamie uh, Irastorza. And uh, Jamie's a, a pre-med student, a graduate of University of California, San Diego. Uh, and uh, Perry, go ahead and take it away with Jamie on the four A's. And, uh, uh, and we're especially interested in our college students bringing home the virus and then exposing our younger children and our older adults, again, coming back to the family unit. Perry, go ahead and take it away, and Jamie. Awesome, thank you, Dr. Denham. So, Jamie, um, touching on awareness, where are those around you aware of what's going on and aware that it could pose a threat to both themselves and their families at home? Well, I think that everybody is aware of the fact that there is a threat. But what I don't know is whether young people comprehend the degree to which they're being the super spreaders. And I think for them to understand that fully and, and really understand that they're responsible for a significant chunk of the new infections is a very good thing that um, people of my age should be aware of, and I think it would also help them um, take accountability for their actions. That's really interesting. So would you say, in general, at the, at the current time, are they, do they feel accountable, or is it just um, they don't truly understand the risk and don't think about accountability as much? Well, I think one of the really difficult things is in the pandemic, we've always been taught about thinking of ourselves as the person who we're trying to protect. And like Dr. Dr. Denham was talking about earlier, how you really have to think about it's the family unit. And so there's a very well-documented psychological bias that says, I'm not going to get it. And things are more likely to happen to other, other people. I, 
bad things aren't going to happen to me because I'm young, healthy, what's, you know, so on and so forth. But I think if you really focus on the family unit and, and you take responsibility for your family, not, not just yourself, that might be a way to sidestep that, that issue. Awesome. That's, that's some really interesting points. So um, on to ability. Do you have any thoughts on ability for young people? Well, so this is one of the harder ones for me, I think, because I'm kind of a science guy. I'm not really super social media savvy. Um, but I do know that my generation gets a lot of their news and a lot of their information from social media. So utilizing it in some ways is definitely critical. Um, the specifics of how to do that, I don't really know. But I know you do have to be able to make concise, clear, compelling information. Um, and that's why I think it's really important to have people who are in film and performing arts and outside of the sciences so that they can work with multiple different disciplines and find the best way to, to do that. Absolutely. I completely agree, especially with the, the point on social media. And last but not least, action. Um, are there any line of sight actions you feel um, would benefit uh, the, or would help us come closer to a solution? Well, I think for young people, one of the hardest things is the fact that they really feel like this isolation. And young people like to have fun. They like to have their social connections. And not being able to interact with people in person is, is really thing, something that I think is straining young people. And I don't think there's ever going to be a complete replacement for in-person interaction. But I think if you really talk with your friend group about ways that you can interact online, whether that's watching movies over Zoom or having like set FaceTimes, you might be able to come up with a solution that's good enough to keep you isolated and still keep you connected. Great. Well, thanks so much, Jamie. Those were really interesting answers. Thank you very much for having me. Great, Jamie. Thanks. Uh, and good luck with uh, medical schools. Uh, uh, Paul Bataya is a uh, EMT, an emergency medical technician. He's the president of the, of the association at the University of California, Irvine. That's one of our really um, wonderful collaborators uh, here in Southern California. He's helped us teach our on-site med tech uh, program where we tackle the eight leading causes of death, including sudden cardiac arrest and anaphylaxis and using EpiPens and uh, working with the American College of Surgeons on, uh, on using tourniquets and stop the bleed. Uh, and uh, he's also an excellent instructor. And so uh, 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 perhaps just for speed, what we could do is, uh, Paul, you could just take it away and then, um, and then go ahead, uh, Perry, and you, you might add a comment or two after Paul goes, and then we'll keep our tempo up. So uh, I can kind of summarize all the four A's in, in just one nice little neat package here. Uh, you know, I can you know I can safely say that you know most of people in my age are are fairly misinformed. Uh, you know, like I have neighbors, uh, you know, just upstairs that you know they, they have parties multiple times per week, that sort of thing. Um, and, and you know, the, the best approach to this problem would be transparency and communication, uh, and you know, you know, heart to heart between people within our own age group. Um, peers and colleagues. Okay, um, and you know, uh, a good example of that uh, of how to kind of take that into action is uh, a program that UCI actually has up and running, um, which is called the the Anteater Pledge Ambassador Program. Um, many of you guys are probably not familiar with that, but basically, um, it's it's the goal of the program is to educate the campus community about reducing the spread of the virus through evidence-based health promotion and disease prevention behaviors. Um, so basically, it's it's peer training. So they they go ahead and 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 train members of the student body to better communicate with their peers through social media. They have like nice toolkits with 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 stuff you know prepared and ready to go, um, and uh, 
and you know the role of students is also to provide face coverings and hand sanitizers to those who need it on campus. Um, so there is an on-campus component to as well, a little bit more uh, interactive. Um, though the program is not deployed yet, I do plan on, on being involved uh, and seeing it come to fruition. Fantastic, Paul. Uh, and you know what we'll do is we'll move to Danny Posiccio, and then I don't want to leave you out, Harry, to have your comments uh, as well. And uh, Danny, would you like to uh, go ahead? And Danny is an NYU film student. He's been a producer with us with our MedTech Bystander Rescue uh, program. He's filmed numerous programs with us with Mr. Bashk in uh, summer school programs, uh, very gifted uh, filmmaker, and uh, uh, he's at, uh, the, at uh, NYU as a film student. And go, go ahead, Danny, and then uh, we'll shift over to you, Perry, so that you can make some concluding comments before we go to our next section. Perry, do you want to make some your, your concluding comments? You've been really diligent about uh, uh, interviewing our our youth and, and our uh, college students. Uh, I don't want to give, I want to make sure to give you a chance to comment as well. And with the, the little bit delayed transmission, I thought I'll just shift right to you and then, and then take it from there. So Perry, what are your thoughts? Well, thank you, Dr. Denham. Um, I think it's, I mean, after hearing everyone speak and hearing different perspectives from around the country, there's definitely a common trend of kids being aware, but they're not aware of the right information. A lot of the, inf um, they have that mindset that, like Danny was saying, that they'll be fine, they'll be okay. And so I think that, um, like Jamie was saying, using social media to spread correct messages. And also, like Paul was mentioning, with these student groups taking action to spread the proper information, the use of precautions that, um, that should be used that are suggested by medical personnel and not anything political, like political or um, just outside sources. So I think it's really great that students, a lot of students and young adults are starting to um, take action and be aware of what's going on, but I just don't think it's at the scale that it needs to be. And I think um, as we move forward and as um, a lot more young adults are become more aware of the problem, the real risk that it poses to them and their families, um, hopefully we'll see an increase, um, an increasing number of kids taking it more seriously and hopefully leading to a solution. Well, thank you. Thank you, Perry, and thank you for the, your diligence. Uh, per, uh, Perry was actually our first instructor, our college instructor, to help teach at Stanford University, uh, and uh, we had a, a, a terrific time there, uh, and uh, that was our very first college course. So it, it's my pleasure now to introduce actually my son, who co-founded the MedTech Bystander Rescue uh, Program uh, at his school here with Scouts, and then we've expanded it to five different states. Uh, Charlie is uh, is was uh, the younger one of the youngest uh, Patty certified rescue divers, uh, competitive surfer. He's uh, was our first junior MedTech instructor, and he co-leads the MedTech Surf and Lifeguard program uh, with uh, Preston Head. We're careful not to use uh, children in our webinars, but since he's part of the family, that's not a risk. So the rest of our youth were uh, and our young adults were over 18. Uh, please roll the tape of Charlie's comment. I think people my age are aware of the seriousness of the virus. I don't think we know that we may be super spreaders. We probably could be more accountable to the safety of our families if we did. If we learn more about how the virus spreads specifically through our age group, it might motivate us to make better choices of our actions. 
Great. And uh, now Preston Head, I want to make sure Preston is on. Uh, Preston Head is, uh, uh, was actually a UCLA uh, star um, uh, water polo player. He was a lifeguard here in Laguna Beach where we live in, uh, in uh, the uh, south uh, county of, um, uh, the, of uh, Orange County. Uh, Preston has been a wonderful master uh, MedTech instructor with our teams and co-founded the MedTech Surf and Lifeguard program with, uh, with Charlie, uh, my son, and is also a wonderful contributor to our Adopt-a-Cove program where we're seeking to make, uh, to put rescue stations along the, the coastline here that are now COVID safe that would reduce our response to a sudden cardiac arrest and emergencies to three minutes when they typically are 10 to 15 minutes for EMS to, uh, to arrive. So uh, uh, Preston, uh, would you like to make comments looking back uh, on, uh, as someone in your, uh, in your senior 20s, looking back through your college career and now in the workforce? Hello everyone and thank you Dr. Denham. Am I coming through clear? Yes, sir. Excellent. Um, yeah, so from from my experience with the awareness and accountability side of things, um, you know, I'm I'm 29 now, and I've moved home to uh, be with my family during this whole coronavirus time, and I've noticed that people of my age, many of them, um, are aware of the virus, but don't feel like they can be really affected, and feel like they're outside of that danger zone. Um, that unfortunately resulted in many people that I've grown up with and know um, through uh, school uh, who have contracted the virus and recovered. But I've noticed similar to what Paul said, you know, people are, we're in month seven now of this virus and the lockdown, and people are beginning to be a little bit more loose and relaxed and, and lowering their guard in which we've seen a spike and we're now entering fall where there might, might be a potential increase um, in the virus cases. So the accountability and the ability to take this seriously and start spreading the message of no, people are still contracting this, we need to be more safe than we ever have, I think is, is at its most crucial point. Um, but that's, and, and then the action, the ability in action, I mean, everyone, all of us personally now have a personal platform in which we could share messages through Instagram and social media. So the ability is greater than ever um, to really start spreading the message. And the action, it just comes down to being deliberate and having the courage to share that message. And, and um, I think it's a very important thing for all of us to do. Thank you, Preston. And Preston will be uh, a uh, co-author of our um, uh, Survive and Thrive Guide of Back to the Beach and Surf because it, it's so critical to recognize that there's so many things we can do in our new normal. And we thank you for your contributions and your contributions to developing our MedTech program, uh, Preston, and helping us take it uh, national. Uh, now, now our last panel, and we're on time, we're doing great. Uh, our last webinar we addressed was the Survive and Thrive Guide series focused on, and it was focused on bringing the virus home. And on slide 72, um, the hot zone is where we work. 
The warm zone is where we disinfect. The safe zone is where we hopefully have no virus at home, but we're cycling back and forth through these different zones. And so please make sure to watch our video where we dug down deeply into how people who are critical infrastructure workers who are exposed because of their work, as Paul might be as an EMT, as, as uh, Brittany might be as a pediatrician, as uh, Greg Boats might be as a critical care doctor, um, but also uh, those that are at the grocery store, those that are uh, in any public environment where there's a lot of virus floating around, especially in the air and on contact surfaces. Uh, we covered this at our last webinar, and I won't go through the detail, but I want to just remind everyone to go back to them. You can look at them on these slides regarding the things we can do in these hot zones uh, to reduce our risk. What we can do when we're disinfecting, and some of us are forced to disinfect in our cars. Some of us are forced to disinfect in our garage and have to strip down in our garage and, and, and segregate our laundry. But these are parts of your plan, the plan that you have to undertake and really prepare uh, to be uh, ready to uh, protect your family and put your plan together. And then the safe zone may be a zone where you have to care for someone at home and you have to create an isolation area, a room or uh, an area to be able to do that. And I lead into this last group of uh, wonderful individuals and uh, I hope Perry, you stay on. We'll have a couple minutes at the end, uh, maybe to loop back from the scouting standpoint. John Tomlinson is, is uh, by training in academics, uh, uh, a lawyer, a JD. He's been the mayor of one of our communities here in Southern California. He's an MBA. He runs um, a company, a family owned business, but he's also a, an enormous contributor to scouts and to uh, the faith-based community through his church. And John has done a terrific job where I'm going to introduce the bios of each one of the four individuals along the top, and then we'll uh, pull up their slides. Uh, Randy Steiner is, uh, is the uh, University of California Irvine emergency uh, preparedness leader for the police department here at the University of California Irvine. Uh, also uh, was involved in a plane crash as a, as a child. His father was one of the leaders as a result of that, uh, of developing the trauma systems we use across the United States. Uh, he's also an assistant uh, uh, scoutmaster and has helped us teach our search and rescue scout programs. Keith Flitner is a terrific leader in scouts, uh, Eagle Scout, uh, an advisor, uh, and really has helped us in our community in Orange County uh, uh, really develop uh, wonderful opportunities for our scout leaders and also a contributor to our uh, Eagle Squadron, which are a group of Eagle Scouts that will be putting rescue stations in along the beach. And John Little is a paramedic, uh, ex extremely experienced, has treated more gunshot wounds and more serious emergencies than probably any of the doctors that I know, a wonderful faith-based contributor to one of our local churches, Saddleback Church, who's both a, a medical volunteer, but also uh, a, 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 an instructor with us and a security volunteer. So he is protecting uh, those uh, leaders uh, of these, uh, of our church organizations. And so we have a certification program John has been an enormous contributor to uh, that was focused uh, on that. So as we think about now scouting, 
membership organizations, multiple faith-based organizations. Uh, that, uh, and I think John Tomlinson may not have been able to log on, so I'm going to cover his topic. Uh, what John did, and he's been a terrific contributor to our program, helped us identify the fact that Apollo 13 was a really good metaphor, a really good story that described how we have to use what we have uh, to do what we need to do for our families as we think about uh, protecting our key infrastructure workers. And so what John did uh, was he said, wait a minute, so I need to have an isolation chamber to be able to protect my family from someone, from the rest of the family if someone gets infected. Uh, uh, Kyle, will you be able to r roll uh, tape uh, for us or am I just going to show the slides? Uh, what John did was he took a house trailer that they had uh, and provided uh, energy to it. It's self-contained. And this was a terrific opportunity of being able to use what you have if we have to take care of somebody at home. One of the things that people don't realize is that when you're COVID positive and not serious enough to require hospitalization and oxygenation, you're gonna to be told in the emergency department, go home, now you must isolate yourself from the rest of the family, and now you must maintain isolation precautions so no one else gets sick. And is there anyone in your family that has underlying conditions that might put them at risk? Now, our emergency departments can get swamped. And that conversation may be just as quick as I just did. And most people are not prepared if somebody were to get sick at home and you might have to either isolate them because you know they're sick or quarantine them because they may have been exposed. Sorry, you hear my uh, canine associates here. Um, uh, and, and so it's very important that we do that. And we will, uh, in our future program, show the videotape of John's uh, isolation chamber, but uh, a, a great example of scouts and, and, and being prepared. So, uh, Randy Steiner, I know you're on uh, live. Randy, uh, would you like to uh, share with us how uh, you've been able to adapt scouting and coming back safely in scouting and maintaining social distance and being able to, uh, you know, address this new normal? Yeah, Jack, how are you doing? Thanks for having me back. Um, just really appreciate being part of this this process and these really important uh, educational webinars. Uh, you know, obviously our scout troop, we have a very active scout troop here in uh, Orange County and in, in Cyprus Troop 670. And, um, you know, we're very proud of our ability to, um, you know, create Eagle Scouts and our program that is based around that. You know, for the last six months, that's been very challenging. As you can imagine, as everybody can imagine, that with with the coronavirus outbreak and the things we had to do, work with that, um, you know. But as opposed to to just shutting down initially, the scout leadership, the troop leadership, got together very early on, and was really um, aggressively pursuing some kind of level of participation. You know, the 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 the, the scouting concept and the, the the value of scouting is taking these these young men and and giving them those those ideals they're so important to scouting and that that you know is really important in that group setting that's really one of the key um, components of scouting uh, but we've you know we've man managed to to maintain our troop through um, you know online meetings we went to the online um, you know world and started doing zoom calls and really tried to keep our scouts engaged that was a big part of it a really big challenge was you know, keeping the boys engaged and, you know, giving them things to do with regard to scouting activities. So we were doing a lot of, you know, uh, typical knot tying classes, the things, you know, our, our Camp Marie this year, for example, got, got canceled. So we took those things that we would have done for 
Campery and kind of took them on on the you know in more of a virtual realm and tried to keep those scout skills sharp. And the great thing is, you know, we've really um, tried to tried to you know when the, we had the opportunity to get scouts together, um, do that in a safe way. Our scout leadership, our troop master Ron Hill, and all of our troop leadership, you know, we're taking this very seriously and you know trying to balance that line between getting the boys together in the in the the arenas that we could and keeping them safe. Uh, the photo that's up here is from our uh, first troop meeting that we we uh, had just this week where it was the first time we got everybody together. Normally that's the Grace Lutheran Church in Cyprus. Normally we meet inside, but we've had our decide to have our meetings outside and uh, kept our boys social distances, put them into groups with their troops so they could do activities. Um, really monitored that. All the boys made us really proud because they really took it seriously. Um, all of them, as you can see, were, were wearing masks and face coverings and, you know, we did our social distancing. Um, and that we, we found that to be really effective. Of the uh, 29 scouts that we have in our troop, 27 showed up to this first meeting. So that keeping our boys engaged was, was so important because I don't think that if we would have just gone dark, we would have had this return to scouting. We're continuing to, to move forward on that. Uh, you know, obviously all of us taking this, the adults taking it very seriously, maintaining the social distancing, maintaining, um, you know, the mask wearing and all the precautions for coronavirus when you get the boys together. Um, and we're going to actually do a, uh, our, our first return scout of honor uh, next Friday. We're going to be doing that in a parking lot outside. We're going to have, uh, just like you see in the photo, pretty much the same thing, social distancing and, and the masking. but. We really feel that, that it's, it's so important to the scouts to get them back into, you know, the groove of scouting, but to do it in a way that's really safe, to do it in a way that teaches them about everything we're talking about today, that, you know, this, this virus is still out there, it's still dangerous, um, you know, they're in this group of what we're, what we're referring to as the super spreaders now, and um, really making that a key focus on, on all of our scouting parts is just the, the need to, to keep themselves safe and, and in doing that, keeping their families and society safe. We're finding it to be really, uh, really effective, Chuck, and we're, we're really looking forward to, to moving forward and, you know, moving into, uh, you know, hopefully a period where we can start getting back together and start doing campouts and all the things that we love to do for scouting. Well, thank you, and thank you so much for what you're doing uh, for uh, us at uh, at the university level. And we look forward to having you back on on uh, some of the preparedness issues. I I'm going to move to Keith Flitner here in a minute. I'd like to have Kyle Kemp put up our survey. We're uh, uh, our last two speakers are uh, Keith uh, Flitner and John Little, and we're going to loop back if we have a few minutes uh, to some of our other speakers. But I wanted you to see this. Family Health Safety and Organization approach, uh, and this is the plan that we are put that that we'll be uh, uh, be uh, teaching in our next webinar. And it's a, and and in, and Keith and I love to talk together. We're both engineers, so we really kind of speak the same language. And one of the issues is we need to have a systematic approach at readiness before anybody gets sick. Then we need to know how to respond if somebody does get sick in our family. Then we need to know if somebody gets serious symptoms to rescue them and do it early enough, which is critical. And then there's the recovery of getting back to the new normal that Randy just covered. 
of really how do we get back to more normal and then resilience. We, we talk about that in terror, anti-terrorism and work that I do in, in some of the higher threat areas is hardening the target. How can you take your family and harden it as a target to not be exploited by this virus so we can kind of get back into a little bit more control and, and have a family life that we know is just a little bit safer. So it's a real pleasure to have that. Uh, so please respond to the survey in the right panel. We have hundreds of uh, people that have responded with a number of uh, uh, some now federal agencies as well as uh, some of our leading universities and medical centers. Keith Flitner is an aerospace engineer. He's a scout leader. He is just a wonderfully creative uh, uh, individual helping us uh, really take scouting to a new level. He contributes to our Eagle Scout uh, programs and new opportunities for us. Uh, Keith, can you address perhaps how we can take this crisis and as Ch Churchill would say, never waste a good crisis. How can scouting and, and faith-based organizations and membership organizations take a leadership role? Yeah, thanks, Chuck. It's great to be here. I just wanted to start with a comment to say that uh, scouting formed over 100 years ago, and actually that was before the Spanish flu, uh, and so that actually had some impact on the, the principles of the organization. So just like every community group, you have some core principles. Of course, uh, with scouting, everybody knows what the motto is there. It's be prepared. But we also have our oath, which says, do my best to do my duty to God and my country. So with that, you, you take on a service perspective, and then even more so, when you look at the scout law, it has a couple different elements in it. One is a scout is clean and a scout is courteous. And it's interesting when you apply those to today's world, when you look at all the uh, social hygiene um, issues that are out there, that we're kind of relearning some of the skills that we had in the past or, or methods and ideas, but also the, the courteous element there. And I think we see that again, coming into play with the, the wearing of masks, and many times it's, it's courteous to other people to wear a mask, and much as you see in the Asian societies where uh, when I did traveling and business over there, that they, the people that were wearing them were generally the people that were feeling sick, and it was a courtesy to their, their other workmates and, um, and family members. So yeah, so if you, if you look at the community level and, and scouting and church groups and other organizations, um, you, you look at the service, a lot of those groups do community service, and it's a natural element of scouting. And uh, when you then combine that with the training that scouting has actually always embodied through its merit badges, everyone's familiar with first aid merit badge, there's a life-saving merit badge, and even an emergency preparedness merit badge. Um, so uh, I think, Chuck, you even ran a search and rescue merit badge program at your house that was a, a big hit with a lot of the scouts there. So in general, you just see that, that it's a natural extension of uh, combining this latest safety info and the tools that you're showing here and bringing that, helping using scouts to bring that info into their family and then expanding that and using that to be the educators or trainers within the community so that these safe practices become really the new normal. And these tools that you have here just enable everybody to, to take that risk assessment and bring that, that level of comfort back into their homes and, and their communities. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Keith. You're, you're so articulate and, uh, and, and, and thank you for your contribution to, uh, to our community and hopefully we can see uh, more leadership there. I'm, I'm gonna, we're, we're gonna have uh, John Little be our last speaker, but I wanna introduce it by saying John is one of our heroes. He's one of our silent, 
humble heroes putting himself at risk every day when he is helping protect, as so many of you are, who are helping protect our leaders and medical volunteers and uh, security volunteers and law enforcement. Uh, just in healthcare, we've had uh, almost a thousand known deaths uh, from coronavirus of people that um, that that are laying their life on the line, and uh, in so doing, uh, uh, putting themselves at risk. So John is one of those heroes that steps in, uh, very quiet, uh, uh, always there, always serving. And we want to thank all of you that are represented by John today, uh, who's a paramedic. He's a faith-based both security and medical leader, spends many hours of his own time to help protect those that are in the, in, in, in the membership of a church, but also uh, uh, also uh, teaching. He's been a MedTech master instructor, one of our best instructors. And uh, John, we just want to thank you, thank you and everyone you represent today for what you do and uh, your heart for, for kids as well. Is there uh, a message you'd like to, to share? And then we'll loop back with, uh, uh, with some of our other speakers. Well, thanks, Doctor. The, basically what I wanna say is I, I basically wanna thank, thank you and all the members of your webinar. <clears throat> I think it's, uh, it's been great. I've listened to every, <clears throat> I've listened to every one of them and it's just, information but <clears throat> I'm kind of at today because I thought it's going to be in the uh, one to 30 year um, year old but anyway in, in working with the church um, I think it's been closed down after they've had a little uh, drive-through uh, I've been working probably about twice a week in drive-through things the children's ministry high school ministry um, the members of the church to drive through and it's still you know some kind of uh, uh, feeling of being together but we're and it's safe everybody's wearing masks everybody stays in their car but um, really anxious to get get back to, to normal but again the only message I have is just to have everybody listen to your uh, your uh, uh, all all the information, I, I think it's just great. And um, thank you. Well, thank you, thank you, John. And, uh, uh, and uh, thank you for uh, helping us uh, really target some of the real needs. Uh, is Dr. Owens, if Dr. Owens is still on, I know Heather Foster had medical duties. Uh, Dr. Owens, do you have uh, thoughts that you might now after hearing uh, everything? I'm gonna conclude, we're right on time. Uh, I'm gonna conclude with, uh, with uh, some of the CDC guidelines regarding testing, because there's a lot of confusion there. But, uh, but Brittany, is there anything you'd like to add? Um, no, I, I thought it was great uh, listening to everyone's perspectives. I really enjoyed listening to the young adults. Um, I, I think that the quote generation of super spreaders is going to stick in my mind for a long time. Um, I think it's like this generation in particular, it's really important that these people continue to educate their peers and, you know, listen to things like what you're like the talks that you're doing. I think it's so important to get everyone on the same page because it's really going to take the whole community to get through this. So I, I really enjoyed that aspect. Thank you. Well, thank you. And so we're right on time and we will go to Jennifer Dingman and you can respond uh, Jennifer and we'll have Jennifer. We always want the voice of the patient 
and, and families to close. I did want to close with the we're, we're in kind of a, a CDC whiplash where uh, we're, we're, we're supposed to do contact, we're supposed to do uh, testing, tracing, treatment, isolation, and quarantine. And anyone that gets exposed to someone who is known to have COVID should get tested. And then the CDC kind of changed the guideline last Monday and then uh, last Thursday came back. And so uh, I think when we go on their website, which we just did for the slides that you see, um, it is still recommended on the website for those that have close contact to get tested. And the reason is if you get tested, you can be, be you can isolate yourself and be isolated and not infect anybody. And as you're waiting, you need to quarantine. The only way that we can stop this virus uh, is uh, is by these processes. These are the fundamentals of public health. So just to allay people's fear and confusion, uh, we still believe that the CDC and the science is saying yes, please get tested if you've been exposed to somebody less than six feet in distance for more than 15 minutes. And if you do, uh, uh, then, uh, you know, get tested. And next month, we're going to cover a deep dive on how to build a family plan. And we really hope that you'll attend that with us. And again, uh, thank you, Jennifer, for being our voice of the patient. Uh, God bless all of you. We always say to our teams, we're going to fight the good fight, finish the race, and uh, keep the faith. And uh, thank you for having the faith in your families and really customizing your family plan based on your vulnerability. The things you can do are to reduce your vulnerability and we wanna help you do that. So Jennifer, will you close us and we'll keep, ask the speakers to stay on for a performance improvement loop to see what we can do better for you. Thank all of you. Jennifer. Thank you so much, Dr. Denham, for having me. It's been truly an honor to serve here today and on other webinars as well. I learned so much, and I just want to thank each and every one of our speakers for all of their knowledge and their wisdom. It, it's unfortunate that there are not many places that the public can go to learn about what to do with, corona, with the COVID-19 virus, but this is definitely a home base for everyone. Just again, I urge you to uh, spread the word, listen to the recordings, share the recordings, and next time there's another webinar on this issue, please invite your family, friends, and colleagues to attend. Um, be safe, everyone. Thank you again so much for being here. Thank you to all of our speakers and Dr. Denham, and God bless everyone. Thank you. Thank you for your attention today. We hope you take advantage of our short videos, our long program videos, our printed content, and our curated articles. We really appreciate all that you are doing. God bless you in your journey to family safety.